You're listening to another episode of Successfully Funded with your guest host, Sean Neal of the Woodshed Agency, sitting in for your regular host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! Welcome, 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 crowdfunders, project creators, entrepreneurs, startups, people with ideas, the doers, the movers, the shakers. How's it going? Uh, if you got a Kickstarter campaign up there and running, I'm wishing you some good luck. If you're my Canadian friends out there, happy Canada Day. Uh, and uh, coming up soon, happy 4th of July to everybody. Hope everyone's having a good summer. Hope you're, you're staying home, you're socially distanced, you're, uh, you're taking care of yourself, you're wearing that mask. Uh, today we got a really, really cool conversation uh, coming up with Eli Packows of Instafloss, a Kickstarter campaign that's kind of reimagining how to do a uh, uh, water flossing with a, a, the water pick. It's a really interesting approach to the Kickstarter, really interesting approach to ads, which we'll get into quite a bit with the conversation. Uh, they're sitting at uh, just under $700,000 as of July 1st with seven days to go, so they're, they're knocking out of the park with that guy. Uh, we'll have that conversation coming right up. Uh, what's going on in the woodshed world? Well, uh, I'm sitting in for another interview while uh, our fearless leader, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel, is uh, on his last few days of a well-deserved vacation uh, up north with the wife, Erin. They're, they're enjoying the great outdoors and enjoying being unplugged quite a bit in uh, Michigan's uh, fine uh, northern part of the Lower Peninsula. Uh, meanwhile, I'm sitting back here at uh, Woodshed HQ holding down the fort. Uh, at our satellite Detroit uh, socially distanced uh, stay-at-home home office uh, of my own making here. So, yeah, man, I've been staring at these four walls uh, since March. It's uh, it's getting pretty intense over here. It's uh, a lot of a lot of uh, COVID nineteen talk, a lot of staying at home. So let's uh, want to talk a little bit about today. Let's let's talk about what's going on in the news. You know. Uh, about a month ago, uh, things were, were looking better for Michigan. We were uh, getting back on our feet, starting to slowly reopen, starting to get those uh, those bars opened up and those stores opened up, and uh, maybe being able to go out and enjoy a drink, sitting outside, being responsible, of course, and wearing that mask. But uh, unfortunately, it looks like in this country we can't have nice things because uh, People weren't doing it responsibly. They weren't wearing the mask. They weren't uh, socially distancing. Everyone was was pretending that this uh, crisis is over. And uh, unfortunately, we just got the word down about an hour ago that uh, we're closing it back down here in Michigan. Those those bars are closing up. They can no longer uh, do indoor service. And uh, we're, we're, we're back to uh, what looks like it's going to be a... Uh, a slow walk backwards back to, to probably sitting at home in isolation. You've probably heard some stories about uh, a couple bars in Michigan. One bar was responsible for, I think, like 68 infections during a single night, single party. Um, another individual uh, went to a graduation party where they weren't uh, uh, socially distanced and several people got infected there, and he brought the uh, virus home and infected several more people in his hometown. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're back on lockdown here, and, uh, you know, just want to take a, a a minute to reflect this week on, you know, what a change it's been. Not only for um, the personal lifestyle, but the digital lifestyle. You know, we, we have a couple active campaigns up and running right now. And, um, you know, the messaging of 
of COVID, the messaging of uncertainty of what's going to happen in the economy, what's going to happen in life here, is definitely a big part of what we're seeing in response to ads. You know, when you when you have products that are designed to to you know work on the go and and operate when when people are functioning in a normal life, uh, you know, depending on the daily news diet, that message can really rub against. Um, the climate of what's happening out there. And I, I think we're definitely, you know, especially with the news of today, we're seeing that with a couple campaigns. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're definitely seeing it in the traffic, uh, especially if you're marketing on social media, marketing on Facebook. Uh, you know, some of the conversation is is becoming dominated with uh, the news of the day and these multiple crises and, and multiple horrible things that seem to be happening one on top of, of one another here. So it's... It's definitely a factor in in how we're approaching um, not only our ad content creation, but but how we spend ads, who we target on, um, you know, how, how far away we stray from the core audience when we're we're trying to prospect and get new eyeballs onto our product. Is you know, is the message um, going to resonate with those those people that are further out uh, from that core audience, especially when you're trying to break through the noise of uh, you know multiple crises? Here in the U.S., you know, so uh, that's definitely that's definitely been something we've been focusing on uh, the last few weeks, and, and has been affecting our campaigns, and will be affecting your campaigns and your efforts too as you're out there crowdfunding. Um, also, want to take a, a moment uh, to, you know, COVID related, kind of talk about um, art, and specifically the form of documentary, and uh, the power. You know, of setting up a recorder or pointing a camera in the moment of of as these things are happening, and 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 how effective it can be from a storytelling perspective, and and some some things that have been kind of swirling and going on in the woodshed world. You know, um, I'm sure longtime listeners uh, know that we were we were part of the team that that uh, crowdfunded, and and I was part of the team that filmed. A documentary um, called Cream, America's Only Rock and Roll Magazine, uh, celebrating Cream Magazine, which was founded here in Detroit in the uh, late 60s and had its heyday in the late 60s and early 70s. And, you know, it's been quite a ride, you know, more, you know, we we debuted um, two years ago at South by Southwest uh, to great acclaim and the film went on a, a tour uh, of major festivals, including um, premiering and debuting here at Detroit's film uh, Free Film Festival, one of the major film festivals across the Midwest. And you know, we we've been kind of secretly sitting on that you know the movie was going to debut in theaters, and and we had we finally had our premiere date right as COVID was you know the, the country was shutting down on the COVID crisis, so things kind of went quiet and dark for a while. And um, the last few weeks, we were just re- announcing and doing the media blitz and the trailer release that uh, you know we're going to launch again. And now when we're seeing theaters and and bars and everything start to close up again, you know, I think there's a little bit of uncertainty about what's going to happen next, um, if that film's going to get a wide release. And, you know, it's a really, you know, having been part of it, having filmed roughly, you know, been the camera operator uh, on roughly, you know, a little more than half of the interviews, you know, just the power of, of pointing a camera and, and getting the story and telling a story and, and capturing... Um, these snippets in time from people is is um, not only a great art form and medium, but, but a really powerful thing um, to be 
present in the moment of. And uh, I lead that back to the, the COVID conversation because, you know, if you're if you're a radio listener or a fan of NPR or if you're you know if you're a regular podcast listener, you know, the most popular podcast in the universe is This American Life. And uh, this week they, they they have an episode. Uh, I believe it's called the Reprieve, um, and it's one hundred percent audio documentary based on. Um, the goings-on during the COVID crisis at the Henry Ford Hospital here in Detroit, uh, which I live only minutes away from. And, um, you know, having friends involved in the healthcare industry, some former band members uh, of people I've played with and other acquaintances, you know, I was privy, you know, through social media and, and in other conversations, kind of the stories and the, you know, what was going on inside this hospital. Um, and, if you listen to this episode, it's absolutely heart wrenching uh, when you hear, you know, firsthand, documented in the moment, um, what these healthcare workers and, and patients and family members had to go through. And in particular, you know, I want to point out Act Four, which um, touches on me kind of personally. It's called Mister Eastside uh, by Aaron K. Foley, and it. And it focuses on uh, an individual that we unfortunately lost in Detroit, a contemporary of ours uh, named Marlo Stoudmire, who was a, um, a well-known figure in Detroit uh, on the east side, an activist, a, uh, a community leader, um, a general do-gooder who kind of crossed paths in my life as, as one of the board members of Detroit Public Theater, where I am occasionally um, invited to perform uh, uh, as a drummer on several of the musicals. So this is a, a person I, I would see in Crossing Paths and, and quite inspirational and, and part of, you know, kind of one of my favorite organizations in the city here. And, um, you know, unfortunately, he, he was one of these individuals who was, you know, with a couple of pre-existing conditions, was very susceptible to illness and, and you know, COVID, COVID took him from us. And, um, you know, that act for... Uh, in an episode of, of really powerful stories and powerful examples of of the life you can capture just by turning a camera or turning a recorder on, um, the fact that um, he was such a well-documented and recorded individual, they were really able to kind of bring out his personality and celebrate his life um, by listening to his voice um, in that last episode. It's, it's a really great tribute to I think one of Detroit's great citizens, a person that, that um, you know, I, I had the pleasure of occasionally running across and, and having some nice conversations with over my time here in Detroit, and um, you know, as a person involved in a very, you know, culturally relevant and, and locally relevant um, piece of filmmaking and documentary to to listen to that this American Life piece at the same time that the crisis is reemerging. You know, frankly, out of um, our fellow citizens' disregard and neglect for um, their neighbors by not wearing a mask and not not adhering to these very simple boundaries and very simple things, you know, you, you sometimes forget that there's real lives lost and, and real tolls on, on beautiful human beings that are, you know, that you could infect or they're becoming infected or or. or victims of this crisis you know it's not just our livelihoods and in our businesses and our our entertainment options that are are sacrificed um 
during this pandemic. It, it's real human beings. And, um, you know, kudos to the team of This American Life for putting recorders in the hands of, uh, of those healthcare workers and kind of realizing that, that there's a story there and, and giving it the four months or five months it took to kind of play out and put together a beautiful piece. And um, kudos to Marlo for being a, a wonderful human being and, and, and giving us enough um, tape to, to properly, for that team to do justice and celebrate his life. And, and kudos to, to my, my family and crew over the Cream documentary. This, this guy will eventually see the light of day. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see theaters or screens somewhere and you guys can all enjoy it with us. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, when these moments happen in life, don't be afraid to turn that, that tape recorder on or turn that camera on and document. You, you never know um, what you're going to capture and, and when it's going to become relevant. And, uh, you know, that's definitely been true of Jeff and I's business career together. Um, there's, there's many, many narratives over the, over the years that, that, you know, we've had the forethought to just turn on the recorder and go. And, and we're thankful we were able to, to have that to tell the story later on. And, um, um, yeah, man. So sorry, I, I'm rambling a little bit, but it's, uh, you know, it's tough days here. And um, just wear those masks. Stay six feet apart. Um, don't cough on each other. Don't uh, don't throw hissy fits in grocery stores if they ask you to wear the mask, man. And, and we'll, we'll all get through this. So, crowdfunding. Let's get back to it. Um, we're, we had a great conversation uh, with Eli Packhouse from InstaFloss. And we're going to roll that right now. The red light is on. That means we're ready to make some podcasting magic. I am sitting here with Eli Packhouse, the the founder and creator of InstaFloss, uh, a really amazing Kickstarter campaign that is uh, currently sitting at about $640,000, closing in on that coveted million-dollar mark mm-hmm. uh, with 12 days to go. Eli, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing much better now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it's going to be a great feeling to have a, a you know just a slam dunk Kickstarter out there right now. Huh? Absolutely, it really is. It really is cool. So, uh, first thing we do for our, our uh, for our podcast is we want to get the levels right. So we always ask our our uh, guests what they've had for breakfast. Tell me about it. Uh, actually, I had I guess a protein shake for breakfast. It was the very first thing. Actually, no. Let me start. I had a pre workout for breakfast. Then I had, uh, I don't know if that counts as food, then I had a protein shake. (laughs) And uh, then after my shower, I had uh, pork chop vegetables. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Blow my (laughs) mind. Wait a minute, wait a minute. All right. What what diet is that? Is this keto? Uh, Is this... If if it fits your macros diet, uh, you know, (laughs) I I try to get 3,000 calories a day and... uh, 220 grams of protein. We could, we could spend like the next two hours. Yeah. We could, we, yeah I, I, I just got back into CrossFit since we're opening up with outdoor workouts now. So, yeah, well, uh, actually the, um, the, the office here that, that we work out of ever since the COVID hit, everyone's working from home. 
but I still have access to the office. And uh, I have a gym in the office. And so just be a real shame if no one's there and using it. So I man, envy. Like I was responsibility to use the office equipment. Man, I was I was seven days a week. I was down 60 pounds. Uh I was doing Olympic weightlifting, and this whole thing hit and nice. uh, it's bad news. But anyway, we're not here to talk about our fitness goals. We're here to talk about <laughs> flossing. So um <laughs> Which is part of your fitness goals. It is part of your fitness goals. So let's. Uh, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about your background as an entrepreneur? Tell us about who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I start. This is not my first company. My first company I started with a crowdfunding campaign, like so many companies do, back in 2013, and that was in the music technology space. Yeah. And we had a successful crowdfunding campaign. Not quite as successful as this. What well, was, was it? Because mm-hmm. if you know about Jeff and I's history, we started crowdfunding in the music space around that time. So. Oh, really? You know, what did you yeah. make? So we're, we're Groovebox Studios is our previous company. Oh. And we were, you know, similar to what you see Scary Pockets now and um, uh-huh. um, um, Assemble Sound in um, the audio tree. We were doing this okay. um, uh, basically live video recording thing. And so the the record we hold is, and it holds to this day, is we are currently the project founder with the most successful campaigns in the history of Kickstarter. I think we have like 357 successful campaigns during that project. Yeah. So how do you have time to actually run your business? You just, or is that like, that that was the business. Yeah. That was the business prior to this. Yep. Just running cool. the campaigns, moving them forward, yeah. yes. doing the whole thing—the the video production, the audio—that that was that was Jeff and I's baby for a long I'm sure time. You've had a lot of people move forward. We have so, a wall of fame behind us for that. <laughs> couple of things back there. Couple of things. Uh-huh. The Wrecking Crew documentary came out of that. So, uh-huh. and we had some we had some stuff. We had some stuff. <laughs> but that's uh-huh. not about us. Let's talk yeah. about you. So, I'm happy uh, to talk about both. So your, fir- your first Kickstarter, uh, successful in the music space. Yes. Um, and it was a, a drum machine and a guitar pedal. So if you're playing with your hands and you want to be able to control a drum track and you didn't have the ability to do so, well, now we put in a guitar pedal so you can add fills, transitions, move around, awesome. of course, et cetera. Uh, that was a success. We delivered nine months later and we became a bestseller. We won a lot of industry awards. And then that company went on to produce four different product families. Okay. And yeah. And then um, many of which were bestsellers, a lot of which were game changers. And I definitely learned a lot going through all the different phases of the company, manu- ideation, manufacturing, all the things that can go wrong with manufacturing. We were making metal products and we made some products out of plastic, whole different ball game, mm-hmm. different things you have to know. Um, contracting engineers, bringing engineers in-house, realizing the engineers you brought in-house, changing your in-house engineers, you know, uh, (laughs) building up a team, realizing how the the organization should and shouldn't be. Uh, I would say that the education I've received from that journey is definitely way more expensive than uh, (laughs) any college education. Yeah. Uh, just the amount of like, <laughs> wait a second, this one mistake cost us $200,000 right there. This mistake cost us 300000 you know? Yeah. And it, it piles up when you realize just how expensive your education has been. Tell me about it, man. Uh, <laughs> yep. 
But uh, the entire time, I knew that there had to be a way for a device to do your flossing for you. Every night when I would go to bed, I'd be like, we're making this gear and we're making this gear and we're making you know, premium features for musicians. And when you're making stuff for musicians, it has to be top-notch quality. They require yeah. no latency. They require yeah. you know, the, the sound of the switch can't be above a certain- No dirty pots, none of that stuff, yep. It's crazy, every little thing. And we would pour all our money into, into making sure that the electronics and the mechanical and the software and the firmware, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, was perfect. And, and, and throughout this process, and every time I'd go to bed, I'd be like, there has to be a way to do this. And, and so when I see a problem, I really dive deep into it. I become obsessed with it. And I started uh, reading periodontal textbooks. I started seeing, well, what makes a good floss? What are you really trying to do when you floss? Is it just between the teeth? Is it underneath the gums? All the way around. And I started talking to dentists and uh, befriended some people at Nova Southeastern Dental School and talked to dental researchers. And what I learned was that what you're trying to do with flossing is you're trying to get between the teeth where the toothbrush doesn't reach. And you're also trying to get underneath the gum line where also the toothbrush almost certainly, unless uh, it's painful to think about the toothbrush doesn't reach. It shouldn't reach there. Um, And that your gums go all the way around your teeth. And so the most effective thing you can do is not only get between the teeth, but get underneath the gums all the way around and clean, clean that area between your gums and your teeth. And the most effective way to do this is via water flossing. And because water can get into smaller places than string can, water, the intensity can be adjusted to the health of your gums, and water can go 360 degrees around your tooth. But the problem with water flossers is that they take really, really long and they're cumbersome. And in order to get it right, you have to aim it at 90 degrees and getting it here, it's going to cause a mess. And the number one complaint people have about flossing is that it takes too long. And water flossers, as they currently stand, while being more effective and more comfortable, take the number one complaint about flossing and they make it worse. So it's, it's not really a surprise to me that, that it hasn't become the thing that everybody does. A lot of people do it, but it's not, it's not as widespread as it ought to be for people's health. So with InstaFloss, what we've done is we've created, you can see right here, yeah. it's a two use. They go over, this goes over your top teeth. This goes over the bottom teeth. And right in here is a joint that can swivel all the way around. So you start it in your back molars and it just rotates all the way around to the other back molars. And it has jets firing from both sides at 90 degrees to the gum line, which is the appropriate loca- uh, with appropriate angle for the maximum clean. And it has multiple jets, so it's able to clean them much faster and also cover 100% of the gum line. And so in 10 seconds, you floss all your teeth 360 degrees around every tooth without missing a single spot. And the pressure is adjustable, so if flossing hurts, this this is something really for you. Awesome. So, yeah, you know, it's amazing how you go from the music space to the dental space. and it's, yeah. it, The thread is really the problem solving. Um, so what made you decide to bring this to Kickstarter? Uh, what was it the past experience or something you saw in the space? What, what made that the right platform to, to go with? So um, the, 
I I have run a the crowdfunding campaign before for my first company, and I found that experience to be very valuable for a number of reasons. Um, number one, you really get the most feedback from people who understand where you are in your journey. You understand where the product is. They know this is uh, the the availability of the product, and they're going to give you feedback. They're going to wait for it. They're going to advocate for you. These are really the early adopters. These are where all the initial people are. If you were to just go to market, you're not necessarily going to reach that community of makers who can give you such feedback. And if you deliver something awesome, uh, give you that level of advocacy. It's also just a very intelligent business move where instead, not only do you get this community of, of creators who understand the, the process and the journey of creating a product, but they also are willing to essentially finance you to, to get there. Right. And both of those make it just a no-brainer for a lot of reasons for a company to go down this path first. It also means that we didn't have to raise as much money from outside investors. We still had to raise money, but we were able to keep a lot more of the creative control. We were able to just have a lot more flexibility because it's backed by the community. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So it sounds like you know that's the that's obviously what draws people to Kickstarter and, and really find a lot of success. Were you, was there? A, a great track record of dental hygienic products on Kickstarter. I know there's a lot of personal hygiene, but dental hygiene. So there've been a lot of things in the toothbrush space, trying to make your tooth flossing, uh, not flossing, sorry, your toothbrushing quicker. And some of them were successful. Some of them weren't, some weren't able to deliver. Right. One of the things we did was we saw some campaigns that were really successful. And then we looked at the companies we saw, Oh, they went bankrupt. What happened there? And so I went to LinkedIn and I found everybody who worked for this company and another company and a few different companies that had failed in the space. And I contacted each one of them and I said, I want to hear your story. What happened? And not all of them chose to speak to me, but many, many did. And I got information from the engineers and from the lawyers and from the manufacturing people, from the executives and from marketing side of what you know they were trying to do. And it, I really learned a lot from their experience in terms of what to avoid. And, and some of the things were things that I, I knew from beforehand, from having gone into manufacturing in the past. One of the lessons that, that everybody needs to know, if you're an inventor, if you're trying to bring a product to market, 3D printing and mass manufacturing are not the same thing. If you can create one, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can create 10,000. There are shapes that are possible and there are shapes that are impossible. And you can't just think that, oh, well, if we make this and we mass manufacture this and we make it with molds or if we, you know, CNC or whatever we do, that is going to be better. You have to, it's a completely different thing and you have to design for that. And you have to have engineers with experience for that. So one of the problems that a lot of these, one common thread with all of these, with a lot of these companies was that they did not design for 
for manufacturing in mind. And so some of the things that they wanted to do were just straight up impossible. And they ran into that and the last minute they're like, oh, our design is impossible. How can we overcome this? And we have to completely redesign it. And now the product's a different product and it's not what we said it would do. And, and then we have to spend all the money we have and now no one's buying it because we can't promise them that. And so they go bankrupt. Uh, there's also, unfortunately, a few cases where I saw they didn't go bankrupt, but the product was utter garbage. Uh, you know, if you put some silicone in your mouth and you vibrate it, it's not the same thing as a toothbrush. So we knew that in order to avoid that fate, we could just do something that sounded nice. We couldn't just say, oh, hey, I think this is going to work. We knew that we, especially when it comes to people's health, that you have to know what you're talking about. You have to know that it does what it says it does. So very early on, we contacted dentists and dental researchers to understand what would make something work. And the InstaFloss operates on the same fundamental technology as current water flossers. The water flossers that use pulsing jets because pulsing is three times more effective at removing debris than non-pulsing and is aimed at 90 degrees because there's a lot of science that shows that that is the most effective at getting deeper into your gums. And each one of the jets is fundamentally the same technology as the devices that have been on the market, accepted by the ADA and shown to work for decades, but we use multiple jets so we can clean many areas at once so we can deliver the same floss better without missing a spot. Nice. Did you have a functional prototype prior to launch? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We've had a functional prototype it all depends what you mean by functional, uh, but we've had an inarguably functional prototype <laughs> for uh, almost two years now. I've been using it every night. Uh, my co-founder's been using it every night. We've been running tests on it. And one of the things we did is we uh, compared it in some tests to manual water flossing, and we outperformed because people who were using our device, they weren't missing any areas, they weren't angling it incorrectly. So InstaFloss did it for you correctly. Nice. Let's talk about um, your, your go-to-launch strategy. You know, um, what, what did you do in terms of pre-launch marketing or, or getting the word out prior to the, the launch day of the campaign? So prior to for, I don't even know how many months. Was it six months? Was it eight months? I don't, I don't recall. But we put up a website and we started running some ads, being very efficient with them, not spending too much to get people to drive traffic to the website where we talked about where we were in development, what we were doing, and asked people to sign up to our mailing list so they can be notified when we launch. And one of the things we knew from prior marketing experience is that your email lists tend to go cold. People sign up, they forget about it, they switch their email, they haven't received anything for a while from you, so it goes to the spam folder. And so if you're collecting emails this far out from your campaign, there's a high likelihood that you're only going to get a fraction of a fraction of people who will even receive your email later, let alone still be interested. And so one of the things we did to increase the the engagement from our people who signed up was we just sent them a plain text. We reached out to every single person and we said, Hey, we saw you signed up. Can you tell us what you like about flossing? What don't you like about flossing? What are the problems? Why don't you floss, you know, or why do you floss and why are you interested in this product? And we engaged in many email threads with 
as many people as would respond to us. And we kept the conversations going. And through that, we were able to retain a very, very, very high engagement rate, a very high open rate, and our audience stayed relatively fresh. And so when we launched, we had a lot of people who were just as excited at day one, if not more so. Right. Yeah. Obviously the best practice. So the, the conversation, I think, is the, the real piece that a lot of project creators miss is, you know, it's great. I got an email, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, if you go past four or six weeks, that reliability of that email being there as a backer is really, really slim to not. But um, engaging in a dialogue and where that person crosses mm-hmm. that threshold of, oh, I want to buy that thing to, I'm contributing to the development of this thing. Yes. Or, you know, that's, that's a very different type of participation you're going to get out of a backer. Absolutely. Um, we also ran, uh, so we actually kept them updated with design choices we were making. We ran some polls. We had a blog. We had many conversations, not only on email, but also on our website and also on our blog and also via polls. So people were, were very engaged from before the, yeah. the crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, almost documenting the development process and sharing with them, right? Yeah, 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 it's a, it's a special thing to be part of. So, you know, you were pretty modest in your ad spend prior to launch. What are you doing right now? Actually, right now we're not running any ads. <laughs> <laughs> I see um, one active up there. There's yeah, a, so we, we want to run ads, actually, and this is uh, something that we actually considered maybe potentially a mistake. So our thought was to go with Kickstarter prior to Indiegogo because Kickstarter – well, Indiegogo, in, well, let me start from the beginning. Kickstarter has a big, bigger list. Indiegogo allows you to do a follow-up campaign to your Kickstarter. Yep. Your Kickstarter will, will follow on to Indiegogo. Indiegogo charges a higher fee for that, but you know it makes it one continuous campaign rather than two uh, discontinuous campaigns. So we figured that would be a good process. But one thing that we didn't quite realize prior was that Kickstarter, unlike Indiegogo, doesn't give you a Facebook pixel. Nope. So if you are running Facebook ads, you cannot optimize for conversions. You can only optimize for clicks. And optimizing for clicks, it varies, but it's probably about four times more expensive than optimizing for conversions. Yeah. So Welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so... so when we realized that, that we would spend probably about four times more per person, we're like, why are we going to spend all that money right now on very inefficient ads and just throw our money down the drain uh, for essentially, you know, an egotistical, oh, look at our campaign, look what it did. Oh, yeah, well, you didn't actually make any, you're in the red because of your ad spend. So what we're doing right now is we are doing more, um, I don't know if you would call it gorilla, but we would do more word of mouth and outreach and spreading traffic through means that are not ads. And we're going to save our ad budget for Indiegogo. Give me an example of some of the gorilla stuff you're doing. So we're doing cross promotions with other campaigns. We are getting into newsletters uh, with one way or another. We are continuing to email our list. We're doing PR. We're getting into some articles. We know we're getting out some blog posts. Overall, you know, they all help a little bit. Obviously, nothing with the scalability and the potential of ads, but that's all we've decided that we'll do right now. And for not running ads, I think we're doing pretty okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, 
you're probably going to hit the million. So that's yeah, that's, that's a rare, that's rare, rare, so club, cool. rare club. Rare club. Yeah. <laughs> right on. So you know, so obviously you're going to flow into a Indiegogo campaign. Then you're probably you know we're going to see the the ads go bananas there. Mm-hmm. Um, these things ship to backers uh, December. Yes. Pretty confident so, with the COVID situation, you know, the world going crazy. As long as there isn't a, a second wave of catastrophic shutdowns, which obviously could be the case. We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. But assuming things go as they currently are right now, then yes, we are confident. A lot of factories are desperate for business. A lot of factories have uh, extra capability right now they have extra capacity and we've been in talks with some factories and we have some quotes and we know that it's about a three-month process to make your molds to run your pilot production to quality test that pilot production to go into mass manufacturing and to then start the delivery process we added a little bit of a padding to that because one of the things we know happens in every crowdfunding campaign is you get a lot of suggestions and yeah. a lot of, <laughs> and a lot of the suggestions are really good. A lot of the suggestions are great. In fact, my favorite suggestion that came out of the entire campaign was someone who messaged us and said, you know, I actually own a manual one jet water flosser myself. It takes forever, but I do it because it's more comfortable than string. But one thing I dislike is that when I'm doing this, water tends to get on my hands because water comes out. And I think you should make the handle like this. You hold it here and then it comes out at a 90 degree angle. And then the water, you just go over the sink, you go and nothing touches your hand. And we're like, well, I don't know. It's a little funky. Let's print a prototype. Let's play with that. And we tried it, and it was awesome. And I personally love it. I've been <laughs> for like you know a year and a half, and yeah. it just really elevated the wow. This is just this. I don't even have to think about my hands because before it was always like, okay, I'm right. doing this, but I want to just make sure I don't get any water in it. Now I don't. Right. I don't care. I'm just gonna try to get water in it. You can't. So that was really great. So we're gonna have to make a few different prototypes of that, test it, re-get it quoted, you know, et cetera. So that's a little bit of a process. It's not that involved, right? Right. Um, the, the, the sort of changes we would make now would not be major design changes, nothing majorly mechanical, nothing giants, no huge components. If people decide that they want a fundamental change, well, that's a completely different product. But if they have slight things that they say that would make the experience a little bit more convenience or they would enjoy it more than, than we can definitely add it. For example, having a little groove that you can add a colored band so you can tell if your mouthpiece is your or someone else's. And that's a, a, lot, a minor thing someone pointed out to us. People have suggestions of they want the light to blink when you're coming to the end of it, or they want it to give you a warning if you're flossing too much, because if you're overflossing, that's also an issue, just like overbrushing. You shouldn't, there is a limit to how much you should do. And these things are are just changes in the code. We don't even have to change the product, but we don't want to print, you know, 10,000 of these before we get the suggestions. And so we have that window for that purpose. Perfect. Yeah. Well, uh, it looks, it looks fantastic. Um, You know, you're you're doing everything right. It's really interesting. I think it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen if you're holding your ad spend back for Indiegogo. Uh, Because the, 
the general rules with the Indiegogos is they, they tend to do okay. Like you're keeping funding going in, but they don't nearly have the momentum that the Kickstarter does. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously a component of that is ad exhaustion, you know? So yeah, if your ads right. are going to be relatively fresh by the time you get to that, I'd be a really curious case study to see what kind of a difference it made. Be sure to follow up with us. We'll see how it yeah. goes. I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously yeah. we don't know until we get there. Um, yeah. But we're, that's, that's currently our plan. Yeah. Well, all right. So everybody, it's over on Kickstarter. It's called Instafloss. Uh, Eli, man, knock it out of the park with this. Uh, so we're right. going to have to follow up talking about Indiegogo, music, mm -hmm. and CrossFit. So that's our three uh, <laughs> topics for next time. And I have some questions for you. I'm going to look into your company's prior in the music tech space because that's yeah. what I've for about a decade. And I'd really like to see the gear you've created. Uh, I know things uh, are that, so. Well, we didn't we didn't create any gear. Let's we, we used gear. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, our whole thing was, um, you know, you got to think back. This is this is right in the tail end of, um, you know, record sales dying and um, mm -hmm. streaming hadn't quite come on the scene yet. Um, well, what year are we talking about? Oh, we're 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 we're, we're easily ten years ago. Uh, uh, the year Kickstarter was founded because Kickstarter. Kickstarter being founded put the light on for us. So mm -hmm. it's my brain is mush at the moment, right? But um, so what was going on in the space was um, no one really knew what to do with record sales. You had iTunes and, and to a degree Amazon, but, you know, breaking through the noise was nearly impossible. Um, right. And so, you know, smaller level artists were just kind of throwing up their hands going, why am I, you know, spending tens of thousands of dollars in the studio for records no one's buying? For the passion, and, um, and it was also kind of this this space in music where um, everything was digitized. You know, everything oh. is samples, and I think everyone's ears were starting to to yearn for something more organic. Mm -hmm. And so, being in Detroit, we were you know we we built a black box studio. Everyone's in the same room. The engineers in the same room, and we said, "Come in here, play five songs. You're on tour already, right? You're out there playing." Mm -hmm. Come in and do five songs live all in one take. There's going to be no vocal sweetening. There's going to be no auto-tune. There's going to be no um, alignment with the drums. It's mics right. go up. You play one time. You film it. We record it. We mix it. We put it out, and usually on vinyl. We take the best two and do vinyls with them. And, um, you know, I think, you know, case in point, you know, Greta Van Fleet, one of their first shows was doing our thing. You know, so you had this whole generation of this kind of rock revival was building and coming through our doors. And, you know, what I think what you're seeing now, especially with Scary Pockets, Pomplamoose, um, <coughs> Postmodern Jukebox, right. where the, the video edits and the mixes are simplified compared to what we were doing. We were doing like multi-camera, 11 camera angles, whatever, right? right? Um, so the video output and the timeline is simplified but it was going back to capturing the magic of a live performance mm -hmm. and the artistry of performance versus, you know, sp spending 20 hours on 11 layers of kick drum samples, you know, for right. records that weren't selling. And so that's what we were doing it in three cities, Detroit, Chicago, and Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And, you know, we were, you know, turning the, you know, a band would come in on a Saturday and the, the, everything would be released on the Thursday, you know, so wow. it, it was this really fast model mm -hmm. that eventually burned out from being crowdfunded and, and the way we were, the way we were doing it um, had a shelf life to it. But when you look at 
those properties online and, and what you're seeing happen with those. I think that's the evolution of what we were starting there. And every single one of them crowdfunded. So, yeah. Wow, well. A lot, 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 of, lot of groups broke from that. You know, they, that's, that was like their first, first real look at what they could be. And, and we had a lot of labels, a lot of gear manufacturers with eyeballs on, okay, what's going through these things? You know, they're, right. you know, we were the one in the Midwest. There was another one in LA doing another one on the East coast mm-hmm. doing it. And, you know, it was, it was definitely a uh, development tool that was, that we did for a while. <laughs> I see. I see. Wow. Do you have a list of all the crowdfunding campaigns that you've done somewhere? Is it on your website? You can, if you plug in GBS Detroit on Kickstarter, you will see it all. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> and then we did, we did, um, we did, uh, um, plug music for a while and some other stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So that's, that was our, that was our world. All right. Well, Eli, it was, uh, a pleasure talking to you, man. Uh, good luck with all this. I, I think that uh, you do have a real shot of hitting that million dollars here. And this is going to be uh, one of those monster campaigns. All right, all right, all right. How about that Eli Packows uh, of InstaFloss? Really, really great interview, really powerful campaign. Let's do a little bit of woodshed business here. So look, if you are an entrepreneur, an idea person, a, a maker, a doer, a shaker, a startup, if you've got an idea you want to bring to life, a product or, or an event or a film or a documentary, let's let's do another documentary. I'm ready for one of those. Um, come visit us at woodshed.agency. Uh, there you can sign up to have a quick 20-minute phone conversation with either Jeff or myself, and we'll, we'll talk about your idea. We'll talk about your campaign. We'll, we'll give you share our best practices, our best tips for how to get one of these guys off the ground and become successfully funded, and, and maybe, just maybe, Throughout that conversation, we'll find a synergy. We'll find a uh, a liking of each other. We'll, we'll see a way that maybe we can help out, and you know, just maybe have woodshed on your team. Um, it, 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 it's really a powerful tool for everybody, and, and we, we we try to give you all of our best stuff on those phone calls. And if you listen to people that have um, you know left the reviews and 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 past clients and people that have come back and, and talked about their conversations with on the phone, they're valuable. Even if you never run a crowdfunding campaign or you never work with us again or or, or you do run a Kickstarter and it goes awesome, uh, most people that have those calls with us really walk away uh, thinking differently about, about crowdfunding and, and digital marketing and how to get the word out there. So that's it for me. Happy Canada Day. Happy Fourth of July. Be safe, everybody, and be kind.